Hello, and welcome back to today's podcast. We're joined by Lawrence Ball from Kent Wildlife Trust, who's speaking with us about how drones and new technologies are being employed to monitor the impacts of species introductions, such as the recently arrived bison at Bleen Woods. If you'd like this episode, and like to follow more on this project, please follow the links in the description. If you want to support us, you can make a donation at restoreplant.org or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, and welcome back to Restoral Plant Podcasts. I'm your host, Jack Cole. I'm joined today by Lawrence Ball, who's talking with us uh, from Kent Wildlife Trust about drones. So, Lawrence, welcome. How are you? Hi, Jack. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm very good, thank you. Very well. Fantastic. Okay, so to kick things off, mind telling us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so my name is Dr. Lawrence Ball. I'm the Conservation GIS uh, Remote Sensing and Data Officer at Kent Wildlife Trust. Bit of a mouthful. Um, so I oversee um, some aspects of monitoring at the Trust. So uh, ecological monitoring, also uh, manage a number of projects and the local wildlife site system. Um, but one area that I'm, I've been learning over the sort of past year, year, year and a half is uh, Drone is the use of drones for ecological surveying and specifically in the bleen to try and understand the effects that the bison and other livestock that we have are having on the vegetation. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been a really interesting process. That's okay. And what have you been uh, discovering, what have been finding? So um, we basically have been using the drones to, well, the drone, uh, which has a multi-spectral camera and a uh, just high-resolution normal lens um, to try and build uh, 3D models and ortho photos of multi-spectral imagery, which can tell you things like the chlorophyll content of leaves and, and moisture on the ground and that sort of thing. Um, and we've been, we'll go into this in a bit more detail later, but we're basically doing this in three different treatment areas in the bleen. One area has the bison, another area has uh, longhorn cattle, and another area doesn't have any livestock, that's the control. Uh, so yeah, the plan is to, to do these targeted surveys, a number of surveys in each compartment, and try and detect the effects of the livestock um, on the vegetation. All right, fantastic. So to kick things off, would you mind telling us or laying out the steps involved in a survey, sort of from step one all the way through to carrying out the, the project? Yeah, so um, sort of a typical uh, day, well, day and a half. So the, a bit of time is spent before planning for the survey. So this involves doing um, flight planning um, documents. So this is checking the airspace where you're going to fly for any sort of restrictions, um, checking for any notice to airmen, which is um, things that are sort of put up on a, on a shared system. Um, if you're doing sort of activity in the area in a certain location, we need to check the weather, of course. Um, we can't be too windy else the drone will get blown off the Kent coast, which is not ideal. Um, so our drone has a maximum uh, wind speed tolerance of 27 mile per hour. So most days we're okay. Um, uh, what else have you got to check? You've got to um, create some maps of where you're going to fly. Um, and then of course, you've got to plan the actual survey itself. So that involves um, deciding on your survey site, putting together a sort of polygon in GIS to tell the drone where to fly. And for most of these surveys that we're doing, you, they're all automated. So you, you plan the flight path before you go. Um, and then technically it shouldn't take too long to get set up and send the drone up to start the surveys. 
Um, okay, so you don't steer it from the ground. It actually already has like a pre-programmed pathway. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. we can do we can do manual flight, and that's sort of how you train. Um, but I guess really the training is more difficult than the actual work in the end um, because it really is sort of just press press go. And when we arrive at the site, um, we first need to go and find where we need to take off from. So this is actually really challenging in the Blean because of the fact that the whole area is covered in thick broadleafed woodland and conifer plantations. So if you can imagine trying to fly a drone over a patch of woodland, but you're stood next to it, you're only going to see it for 100 metres before it disappears behind the tree line. Um, and, and one of the, the key restrictions for our work is that you need to maintain line of sight with the drone at all times. Um, so on open sites, it's a lot easier. You can sort of cover the whole site. But in, in thick woodland, you have to try and find an area that's sort of clear enough so you can get far away from the forest edge so you can see the drone over the forest doing the surveys. Um, and why is it you need to keep constant eye by uh, contact with it? It's for safety. It's so that you can okay. avoid avoid any uh, incoming sort of um, air hazards, uh, low flying helicopters, gliders, all those sorts of things. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought it might be so it doesn't get stolen or <laughs> <laughs> maybe that as well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Slung, slingshot it out of the sky or something. Okay. Yeah. Um, that, that wouldn't be ideal. Right. Okay. And what are some of the data that these drones are basically sent out to to gather? Yeah, so what we uh, are collecting are two types of data. Um, so once you've sort of found your takeoff location, put your GCPs down, which are uh, these mats, which are black and white with crosses, so that you can include them in your imagery. Um, that's that's sort of way you have to do before a flight. The, the drone goes off, does the survey, um, and it's got two sensors on it. So one is a Zenmoose X5S, which is a lovely big camera lens, the other is a multi-spectral camera, like I suggest, uh, said earlier, um, and that's very cool. Um, it's a similar, I don't know how similar it is, but it's the same sort of data that you get from satellite imagery, where you see things online like how much the Amazon has shrunk in the last 50 years or something. So it's, it's a combination of one metric you can get from it is NDVI, which is a combination of the red and near-infrared bands, and that detects greenness in plants. It detects the actual chlorophyll in the leaves. So this is outside of, our, of the visible light spectrum. Um, this is something that only these special cameras can detect. Um, and so when you see images like the Amazon forest shrinking, it's, it's this sort of system they're using. Um, so we have a similar, similar camera on the, on the drone, um, and this takes this type of imagery. So when we compare over time, um, we can sort of see how much uh, vegetation biomass or productivity or how much sort of vegetation loss or, or desiccation of vegetation uh, is happening over time, which is really important because these are effects that the bison might have, um, which is the main objective of, of our work is to detect, detect the effects of the bison on the vegetation. Okay. That's really um, interesting. So, so how exactly yeah. do, do they detect chlorophyll? Is it, a, is it a chemical they pick up on? or? So it is just, I believe that the, the chlorophyll content reflects light in these particular wavelengths. Um, okay. uh, well, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it absorbs one of them and reflects one of them. And so you do a little bit of maths and, and you can, it, okay. it basically makes it pop compared to concrete. <laughs> Right, <laughs> for okay. example, um, okay. so it looks very cool. And so how long have you been running the project? Was it about a year, you said? 
Yeah, about a year. So we've done our first baseline of surveys this year, um, obviously prior to the bison going in. Um, and then next year is going to be first year, second year and so on. And we'll hopefully be able to compare these data sets over time and see what effect they're having. And what have been some of the challenges, uh, obstacles that you faced? Yeah, just before we move on, I'll just mention what the other sensor does. So this is oh, probably this almost cooler than the other one. So this uh, uses a process called photogrammetry where it stitches together all of the images that it takes and creates a 3D model of the, of the surface, land sort of terrain, vegetation surface, um, or the land surface if there's no vegetation in the way. Um, but this is quite key for bison because the main effect we are expecting them to have is to either fell trees or kill trees off or in various ways open up the vegetation. Um, so we would expect to see over time more open areas of uh, vegetation where the, the high canopies have been removed and you've got uh, new flora, new ground vegetation growing up, uh, encouraging sort of wider, healthier biodiversity. Um, and so this is one thing that we're definitely going to try and uh, focus our analysis on is comparing these 3D models, uh, these models of the vegetation over time. Um, it's potentially very challenging. There is only one piece of software that can do it, uh, but we will get there. Um, and we have some excellent contacts at Exeter University uh, down at Penryn, and they're really, they're, they're great, and they're helping helping us develop these methods. So, That's yeah. great. And now would you like to move into a little bit about some of the obstacles? But you say still, yeah, still unexpected, so, so, uh, yeah. I mean, as I said, one of the main challenges is is being able to maintain visual line of sight in in a dense woodland environment. Um, so far, I've not crashed it, so that's good. That would be quite quite a, quite an issue. Um, you do have to take a lot of care when you're setting up the drone, making sure you've got the right propellers on the right things, because you know one mistake there, and 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 it, you know you, the drone you could have major issues. Um, so it's just really um, taking time to make sure make sure you're prepared. Um, that's that's the key thing. Um, I think getting to sites as well. So we've uh, the bleen is super dense, and and the, if there as there is only a limited number of open places, we do end up having to sort of lug a lot of kit. The drone itself. Um, all the, the GCPs and various kit that goes with it. Three sets of batteries, and they're very heavy. Um, so it's, <laughs> it can be quite challenging reaching these, these places that we want to fly from. Um, but as I said, on smaller reserves, which are less dense in terms of vegetation, it would be easier. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of important sites like that. So a lot of other trusts um, will benefit and will, will, you know, it'll be an easy process to, to collect this data on other sites. All right. And you mentioned that there are three different types of sites. Um, would you mind going into that a little bit? So there's, you've got the bison, you've got the cattle, and then there's one that's left. Uh, yeah. Right, that's not the right word, but um, it's the control. The control, yeah. That's right. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, so bison with Iron Age pigs and Exmoor ponies, I believe. And then same, but instead of bison, longhorn cattle, and then, and then none at all. Uh, this doesn't mean there is a complete absence of any other habitat management. There is still some um, woodland management going on in certain areas, um, which is actually a key point. We have to be very careful that we record that management so that when it comes to analysis, we know what is human tree felling and what is bison tree felling. Um, so, that's, so that's another challenge, actually. Uh, but yeah, 
the, these are the three treatment areas. So it's a, a lovely experimental design. Um, it's not just the drone surveys; they're just one, one very small part of the whole the whole monitoring program. Uh, we've got people surveying vegetation, butterflies, insects, mammals. You know, it, it goes on and on. It really is a massive massive monitoring project. And is it too early to ask if you've already seen some effects that the bison are having? The recent release bison, what was it? Two weeks ago now, I think it was. Yeah, if that, I think yeah, we've um, yeah, we've we've seen some evidence of bark stripping, um, which is great. Uh, we've seen them making channels through the vegetation. Um, we've uh, observed them eating a whole range of different species. Um, pretty much everything they're having a go at. Um, so yeah, it's amazing how much we are seeing in such a short time, um, which, you know, really piles the pressure on for the monitoring to capture us, you know, to capture this information. Um, yeah. Right, fantastic. And try to tell me a little bit about how um, technology is perhaps evolving or it's been sort of applied in sort of wider, wider use, uses or, or anything in that, that regard? Um, so in terms of drones, it is evolving very quickly. Things like battery capacity is evolving, um, which gives you longer flight times. Things like the, the resolution of the cameras that are involved is getting bigger and bigger. There's a new drone just out that's got a 40 megapixel camera. Um, ours is only 20, so that basically means if you've got more pixels per image, you can fly a lot higher and still be getting the same level of detail on the ground. It's called the ground surface distance. So mainly we have each pixel representing a ground surface distance of 1.31 centimeters, which is flying at 200 feet. So that gives us really nice detail. Um, but, you know, these bigger lenses with more high resolution, you can speed things up. You can, um, yeah, you, you can speed up the surveys quite a lot. So it would be lovely if we could uh, we could move forward and, and and increase our capacity, our drone equipment, and, and move forward and get this sort of better better equipment. Um, so you've got batteries, you've got the lenses. Um, drones are getting a bit quieter as now. I think uh, now as well. I think there's some new new drones, DJI drones with with quieter propellers, which is really important actually when it comes to being around livestock. Uh, birds um, on reserves as well you kind of want to minimize disturbance to the wildlife so and how do you see things progressing sort of in the next sort of five to ten years or when three to four or well as you said it's, it's things are developing so quickly maybe even you know the next year or so or how are things trending it's hard to say i think drones for cinematography is a whole area and then there's drones for ecological surveying um and i imagine because people watching TV is a lot more lucrative than conserving wildlife. Um, probably the technology in, in cinematography drones is, is way ahead. I know there's great things like one person can be operating the camera while another is flying the drone. Uh, those, sort of, those sort of things um, obviously make it a lot easier to get great footage. But it'd be nice to be able to include a second pilot somewhere in the process when you're doing surveys, even if it's just a case of checking the that the camera is in focus, repositioning it for obliques, which is a, a photo taken at a, a different angle to get better um, detail, height detail, 
Um, so there's probably a few things that would be useful as to whether they're going to happen. I am, I'm not sure, I'm afraid. Okay. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. All right, wait and see. Okay. So, Lawrence, is there anywhere um, that people could follow your work or see what you're up to or sort of learn a little bit more yeah. about drones? Yeah, so we have some great information in the uh, on the website now, uh, specifically in the monitoring section about the Blean monitoring program. Um, we have um, articles that go out. We have a new technology zone in our uh, members magazine, um, which covers sort of all the key things in the, in that particular uh, period that we've been doing with technology. And hopefully, that's going to increase in the future as we get more and more tech involved in conservation. Um, Personally, my background, I spent quite a lot of time doing conservation in the Middle East, and I have a website, lawrencepoolconservation.com, and people can find out a bit more about other work that I've been involved in there if they wish. Um, so, yeah. Um, that was, of course, usually my closer question, but I'm now really interested to learn a little bit about your conservation work in the Middle East. I was, I was actually talking to someone this morning about how Middle East is often seen as, it's not... Um, in terms of like a wider international organizational perspective, there seems to be a little bit of a sort of a black hole over the, over the Middle East. There seems a whole lot of activity, but I'm sure on a local level, that's not, that's not right. And I'm just wondering yeah, what, what- I know what, what you're what, saying. Yeah, yeah, you understand what you're yeah. saying, yeah. all right. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. tell me a little bit about what you've been up to and how it's-, how it's I think a really, a really nice example of what you just said is where I was working in, in the south of Oman, there's a, um, a big cat called the Arabian leopard, which is the subspecies of the African leopard. Um, there's less than 200 left in the wild, so it's super rare, uh, probably the rarest big cat. But so few people in the Western world are even aware of this. You know, they know about tigers and giant pandas. But I think that's a lovely example of what you've just said, where um, there is stuff going on, in, especially in terms of conservation and environmental challenges that are just as important as Costa Rica or the Amazon rainforest or something, but just don't have that sort of attention. Um, so my work was working with pastoralists, uh, camel owners, quite wealthy pastoralists um, who have many, many camels. Um, and there's a very unique environment in the south of Oman, which is a dry cloud forest. So for nine months of the year, it's about 35 degrees, 40 degrees sometimes. And for three months, it drops to about 20 degrees and there's thick, thick mist constantly for three months. So it's a very unique habitat. Um, and these large camel herds were basically decimating the environment there. So it was a case of uh, trying to understand why they still keep livestock and what the impacts are on the vegetation. Um, so yeah, that, that was my sort of uh, postdoc and PhD and it was a wonderful thing to be involved with. Fantastic. So that could be something for a, for a future podcast, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Love to. Yeah. Fantastic. Lawrence, thank you for your time. Okay. Thanks, Jack.